From Orange County, California, you are listening to Taking Flight with Captain Michael Rocket Blackstone. That almost sounds like a fake name. Maybe Marvel's next superhero? Might want to check into that. This is a different type of aviation podcast. It's not hosted by a tech geek know-it-all or communist sympathizing wacko, no. Lucky for you, I am your host. With over 30 years of flying high-performance aircraft, 21 years at a major airline, and over 25 years in the general aviation aerobatic flying business, I hope to become your personal coach to get you started in your aviation career as a pilot and to help you identify and survive its many pitfalls and booby traps along the way. I want to make this podcast my commitment to you, my personal mission to help you succeed in making your dreams of flying for a living take flight and come true. We're trying to avoid that happening to your career because that's got to hurt. Welcome to the Taking Flight Podcast with Michael Rocket Blackstone. This is podcast number one. In today's episode, I'll be giving you some detailed personal information about myself and my career path that has taken me all the way to the top of the aviation world. Not to impress you, but to show you what can actually be accomplished if you get right to it. I got a few surprises for you along the way that you might find to be entertaining, so uh, stay tuned for that. The second thing we're going to talk about today is why am I so passionate about flying? Maybe it's the coffee. I might want to check into that. But no, seriously, what does flying actually mean to me and why do I get so excited about it and why do I like sharing it with people? We're going to talk about that second. The third thing we're going to talk about is what are the main reasons that I've heard over the years that people don't learn to fly? And I've come to some realizations over the years. A lot of those reasons are the same. And I'm going to share those with you and uh, help us deal with them and hopefully uh, get those out of the way so that they don't block you from your aviation career path. The fourth thing that we're going to talk about is what does the future look like for aviation? I'm not a gloom and doomer in this area at all. As a matter of fact, I find this might be the best time ever to get into aviation, to learn to fly, to buy a plane, take some flying lessons, or start an aviation business. I'll give you those reasons why. Uh, The fifth and last thing that we'll be talking about today is what are the five things that you can do today to help kickstart your aviation career and to get excited about uh, about flying. You know, flying truly is an honor and a privilege. It's something that very few people actually get the opportunity to do. But flying is far more accessible today than it ever was. And there is no reason why you shouldn't be going for it right now. So if you'll allow me to, I want to share some of those secrets, my tips and tricks, and I'm hoping to spark a passion within you for flying that will help get a fire going inside you burning so hot that nothing will ever be able to snuff it out. So what do you say? Let's go for an airplane ride and get started right now. Well, here we go. Item number one, I told you I would talk to you about my history, my background, and I'm happy to do so. You know, it's 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 30 years worth, you know, so you kind of sit back, relax, and uh, get yourself comfortable. Maybe grab a cool, refreshing beverage and and listen in for a couple. But basically, I, I'm sitting here right now. I, I just feel like the luckiest guy in the world. Let me start off with that. I'm 47 years old. Um, 
I've got approximately 31 years worth of flying. I, I began flying uh, professionally at 18 years old. I took my first airplane ride at eight years old. I mean, who gets to do that? So I, I first thing I have to say is, is, is life is about, um, it's about opportunities. It's about um, never missing an opportunity. It's about luck a lot of ways. I mean, I'm the luckiest guy on earth. So, so I'm, I'm nothing special. I, I don't deserve any more um, opportunities than anyone else. I just happen to have opportunities and I never missed one as, as, as if someone opened a door for me and they said, Hey, uh, Hey, Hey, Michael, uh, we've got this great opportunity for you to fly this. I'm like, I'm on it. I'm, I never missed an opportunity. So, so that I just feel gratitude in my heart for what I've been able to have placed before me. And, and, um, and I always, I'm grateful for that. So now, as I look back, when I was eight years old, and my dad was flying for a major airline, and at that time it was Air Cal. He was an Air Cal pilot, and he flew the 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 uh, the MD eighty, the Super eighty, for Air Cal for years. And and then when the Air Cal was purchased by American Airlines, he integrated into the American system, and that was his career. But for me. Being the son of an airline pilot who loved aviation more than than anything, my dad was just as wild and crazy about airplanes as I am, and that's pro- that's why I learned it. That's where I learned it from. But here's an airline pilot that on the weekends enjoys doing aerobatics, which is kind of unusual in and of itself. But my dad took it a step further. He he was taking lessons with Art Scholl up at Santa Paula in the late 70s, uh, early 80s, and fell in love with aviation. He always told me that, that, that he never came back from that first flight and doing aerobatics with one of the best aerobatic guys in the world. And, and Art Scholl was, was the stuntman um, that, that did a lot of the filming for, for the movie Top Gun. And, and those of you who know the story, we don't really need to get in that right now. But, but that was my dad's mentor for aerobatics. After that mission, he ordered a pits. And the pits, it's P-I-T-T-S. For those of you who are not familiar with it, you can look it up on Google. The pits is the possibly the most famous aerobatic plane in the world, its its history is that it has won more aerobatic championships than all other types combined. And if you think about that, what a what a what a legacy to to have, you know, to be able to win year after year after year. And 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 its model and its design did so well in aerobatic competitions for all those years that the new aircraft they change so often now that they can't. They can't hold that title, which is kind of cool. So the pits, we'll talk about, I'll break out the, the the airplanes in another episodes and we'll talk details of each type of aircraft that I've flown and and what the differences were and all that. But uh, that was the aircraft that, that my dad taught me to fly in. And it was the aircraft that we had in our family that so few people have. And, and I just think, wow, I look back on it and I go, whose dad has a pits? And and if he has it, does he get a two-seater? Usually guys get the single-seater, and then now you can't share it with anybody. So my dad was a guy who loved to share. So he bought his Pitts S2A 
brand new from the factory in Afton, Wyoming. The company that makes these aircraft is called Aviad, and they're in Afton, Wyoming. I visited the the facility there, their 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 manufacturing factory there, and see how they make them. If you ever get a chance to do that, uh, for you for those of you who are interested in aircraft building, it is amazing to see how they build these aircraft. They're tiny, they're they're intricate, they're they're really it's an incredible operation. So go check out Aviat and see what a Pitts S2C is. That's the current model of it. And that's what they're making today, as well as Aviat makes other aircraft, but that's where it's made. Anyway, my dad ordered a, a Pitts S2A in 1980 and received it, I believe in 81, custom made. It was red. It had white stars down the side. He designed the, the, the paint job on a Pitts model literally from Hobby Shack, I believe it was, bought the model, built it, and covered it, and then put the design of the aircraft that he wanted it to be in the living room of the house that I'm living in now. I bought my parents' house. So so in the living room, he painted this, this airplane up the way he wanted it, took pictures of it, and sent it to the Pitts factory, and they built him a full-size version of that model which was so cool. So we, we, it was like a family outing and then, and then watched them build this aircraft and deliver it. And my dad went up to Afton, Wyoming and brought this thing home. Well, once he got it home, it wasn't just happy flying it around. He wanted to take other people for rides. So he created a company called Blackstone Aerobatics. And with Blackstone Aerobatics, he and I were able to spend time together. Most kids are out in the, in the yard throwing the football, which I did that later. But we throw the football at the ramp on the ramp at Fullerton airport and we would hang out together at the airport and he would fly his rides at the end of the day after flying a few missions, he would take me up. I'd wipe the plane down with him. And this was the father son, uh, uh, interaction that we would have. And I would learn to fly. Well, I was eight years old at the time. So I didn't fit in the airplane quite right. I'm you know, four feet and and you can't see out of this thing. It's kind of a deep, deep seated hole situation. So what my dad did was being an engineer that he is, he stacked up phone books. And for those of you who don't know what a phone book is, if you're too young, you may not realize that a phone book is uh, where they listed all the phone numbers for people in the local area. Now we use Google, but in those days it was a giant book and this thing was three or four or five inches thick, and and there were several of them, and I would sit on them all, and I'd get myself up high enough, and then uh, my dad would stack those up for me and then put me on in the parachute. Of course, it's an aerobatic airplane, so the parachute goes on me, cinch that thing down, put me in the airplane, put the leather helmet and goggles on me, strap me down in that thing with the double seatbelts that a Pitts has, and away we would go and teach me how to do light aerobatics, rolls, loops, hammerheads, and spins. And we would do that repeatedly, week after week, month after month, year after year. Eventually, I had about 150 hours in the front seat of a pits. Before I even got to be close to 16, I had a lot of flight time in a pits learning to fly it, which is kind of a hard airplane. We'll talk about that another day. But that was the plane that I cut my teeth into aviation and literally didn't know anything else. So, so you know, I hate to be um, 
you know, spoiled in that way. But but basically, if that's what your dad has for an airplane, that's what you're going to learn to fly in. And I did. And I loved it and uh, really enjoyed learning to fly in that airplane. But then Top Gun was was coming out. So so my dad was purchased that airplane in 81. And then in 86, Top Gun came out. So so Top Gun comes out and my dad wants to dogfight and he was he's an airline pilot, but he wanted to be a fighter pilot. So so he got the wrong airplane, but he's an aerospace engineer. So he he invents a tracking system and mounts it to his pits and goes out and dogfights with his friend, you know who you are, Bill Bancroft, and they would go out and they would dogfight their pitses. And my dad would 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 be able to score the kills with his tracking system, and that became the basis for my dad's next business. So Blackstone Aerobatics becomes Top Gun Aviation, which was later renamed to Air Combat USA. And I'm learning to fly in the pits. Now we're doing dogfighting. The next thing I know is, is we're selling the pits and we're, we're starting to acquire a new aircraft, which is called the Marchetti SF-260. And the Marchetti SF-260 is an Italian-built uh, aircraft with the bigger engine than the pits has, and it's a fighter plane. So he ends up trading out the platform that I love and that he loved for this new platform called the Marchetti and starts this new business called Air Combat USA. I'm 15 years old at that point. I begin training in the Marchetti now as my primary trainer to get me my pilot's license, hopefully by the time I turn 17. So so I'm still flying on the weekends, still going to regular school like a normal kid. And, and ultimately, I'm starting to get some hours in this thing. By the time I turn 16... I've got a lot of hours in this airplane, about 100 hours at this point. And now I'm starting to ask questions about, hey, you know, maybe when could I solo it? My dad got the uh, CFI. My dad was a CFI, but uh, he had another CFI check out to make sure that I was looking good. And then he and I went out to Chino and I soloed the Marchetti SF-260 at 16 years old. He's sitting at the little, the little, preacher's chapel in the middle, you know, that's where the, and the CFI sit and pray that their students do a good job for them as they fly the, their airplanes around solo. My dad was sitting in the, at the preacher's chapel and, and uh, watching me, a 16-year-old kid, uh, ripping around the pattern at Chino in his Marchetti. At that time, it was November 1-6, Foxtrot Delta was the plane I soloed in at Chino. It was, uh, I was 16 years old. It was 87, 88, I, I don't know exactly the year, but uh, I was 16 and came back to Fullerton and uh, they cut my shirt off me and and we soloed into Marchetti and I might be one of the only guys in the world to ever have soloed a Marchetti at 16 years old. I, I felt pretty, pretty great, but super lucky and didn't realize that how special that was until, until way later. So at that point, it wasn't over. Now I had to get my instrument rating and my, uh, actually, I'm sorry, my, in my, in, on my 17th birthday or shortly thereafter, I got my private license in the Marchetti with the same guy that taught my dad or got, gave him his private license. 
back 30 years prior. His name was Abe Pastor. He's passed away now, but Abe used to eat an apple, and he's he's given me my check ride, and and I'm asking Abe if we should maybe you know wear the parachute so we can go out and do a loop and a roll. And he told me, no, thank you. I'd prefer to stick with the with the profile, and and uh, and we didn't do any loops or rolls on my private check ride, just so you know. But I, of course, I wanted to. Did a pretty nice job, apparently, on my private. Abe came back, told my dad what a good job I did, and I got my private license at 17. From that point on, I love. I was in love with aviation. So uh, I had to work hard to get my 250 hours. So I flew a lot of hours trying to build up my 250 hours. But in the meantime, I was working on my instrument rating, which takes another 40 hours of instrument training. So I, I began studying instrument flying and uh, taking the written test, building the hours so I would have my instrument and my commercial by the time I reached 250 hours, which was the minimum. And I hit that, I believe, at 18 or 19 years old. At that point, I began training to become an Air Combat USA pilot with all of these great guys that were flying for my dad at Air Combat USA, some of which are Top Gun instructors, current F-18 pilots, current F-14 pilots at the time, F-16 pilots, F-15 pilots from the Air Force. We had an, an entourage of of amazing pilots from all over uh, the United States flocking to air combat to fly uh, in the civilian air, air combat dogfighting school, which, which was new at the time. And since then, they've flown over 60,000 missions. So Air Combat USA was very new and very exciting. And a lot of fighter pilots really, really wanted to do this and share the magic of what we call BFM, uh, Basic Fighter Maneuvers and ACM, which is air combat maneuvering, which I'll be happy to talk about in another uh, detailed podcast about what dogfighting's like. We'll, we'll go into that another day. But flying the Marquette SF-260 was incredible and is incredible to this day. Um, still have four of them. I've got 4,000 hours in the thing. And uh, it's my favorite aircraft by far. It's it's such a versatile, cool airplane. Uh, we also had extra 300Ls, and we used the extra 300s to fight the Marchetti and to augment the Marchetti when we needed it. And uh, we had two extra 300Ls, uh, and then uh, we would dogfight them, or they would fight each other. So it was that kind of environment going on. Beautiful fleet of aircraft. I, I got a thousand hours in the extra, you know, approximately seven hundred hours in the Waco, and about twelve hundred hours in the pits, and just a magical, cool way to build a lot of flight time. Now, in the midst of all this, now I'm moving forward. You know, now it's it's mid nineties. Uh, I'm building flight time like crazy. I'm mid twenties. You know, I'm twenty three, twenty four years old, and one of our clients who was a UPS pilot, Pete Summers. And uh, Pete Summers was, was friends with a, the chief pilot at a, at a company called Business Express, and it was based in Dover, New Hampshire. They flew Saab 340s. Um, the Saab 340 is a 34-seat, uh, 28, 29,000 pound aircraft with 3,500 horsepower GE engines, uh, five bladed composite props. This is a giant turboprop. And 
the biggest thing I had ever flown at that point was uh, was an Aztec. So my multi-engine experience uh, came from an Aztec that we had owned. And that was how I got my multi-engine rating. And I was building building time. And I had about 250, 300 hours in Aztecs prior to that. I had my Marchetti time, instrument time, flying combat. I'm loving life. I'm having a great time. And then this opportunity comes to, why don't you go, go become an airline pilot at BizX? I'm like, uh, okay, well, where do I got to go? So I did a an interview. I flew out to Dover, New Hampshire, went up and met the chief pilot there, and they hired me. Uh, the deal with BizX was, at that time, was this was one of the only places where, at that time, you didn't have to pay for training. Almost every other airline at that time required a pretty significant upfront prepayment of the type rating for the jet that they were operating. So you had to get the hire, get hired first, and then you'd have to cough up some money to to go pay for the uh, the training. Well, BizX didn't have that. So I was really excited. I, I, I wanted to go fly something different. Didn't want to give up my, my Marchetti seat in combat, but I had to put that on hold for a little while. And I went to Business Express in 1998 and built up 700 hours uh, in about eight months, I believe it was, maybe nine months. And uh, during that time, I had my applications out at other airlines, at, at many airlines, but uh, I was going to go with the first major airline that, that, that called me. And since my dad worked at, at American Airlines and, and I had friends over at United as well, I had my applications in at all those, I kept updating my resume. I've got 400 hours. I've got 500 hours. I've got 600 hours in the, in the SOP 340. I'm flying in the Northeast. It's, it's the Northeast corridor. It's terrible weather. It's uh, really challenging flying. I thought that that experience would be really useful. And I got a call from the chief pilot at American Airlines, Cecil Yule. Now, the, the funny part about that call was Cecil Yule was actually making the phone calls himself at that time. This was in 1999, uh, late 98. And uh, my dad had a really great way of imitating Cecil Yule. So he would on occasion kind of call me up on my cell phone and imitate Cecil Yule and, and pretend that he's given me a job interview. And I'd catch him in it. Oh, dad, is that you? You know. So after a while, this was I, I was starting to to think every time that I got a call from Cecil Yule, it was fake, right? So when Cecil Yule finally did call me, it sounded just like him, which was so funny. And 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 I kind of didn't believe it because my dad had already tried three times already, and and now it really is him. And I'm not sure, and he's not letting up on the you know starting to laugh yet. So I'm thinking, oh, uh, maybe this is him. So. I finally start to to get it and, and realize what's happening. And, and uh, he offers me a job and, and never told me it wasn't him. And and I hang up and call my dad. I said, Dad, I just got a call from Cecil Yule. He says, yeah, well, what did he say? I said, he offered me a job at American Airlines. I said, what'd you say? I said, heck yeah. I'm, I, I accepted it, of course. And, and I'm going to Dallas for an, an interview. And uh, and hopefully I'll get the job. And he said, congratulations. And I did backflips down the hall. And I'm like, wow, I just got a job offer from a major airline. I'm 25 years old and I'm just like ecstatic, right? So, so now I go to training. So now, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I head to the, to the, the academy and the indoctrination at American Airlines. Uh, 
center and do my interview. And at the interview, I get to, you know, answer the oral questions that they ask you and, uh, and you kind of, you know, just give them your best answer. And then, you know, you're, you're doing pretty well when you get an invitation to fly the simulator. And at that time they were using the, the, uh, MD, uh, 11 or the DC 10 simulator. It's a three engine jet. They don't use them anymore, but big, beautiful, beautiful flying, uh, flying jet. And I got a chance to fly that simulator in, in, in the interview. And I, I, talked to my dad about it and others who had flown it and, and said, this is how you fly this thing just right. And, and it came in and I did just the, a beautiful job and it came out great. Probably a lot of luck. Somebody was looking out for me. I, I, we roll on the, on the, the, the DC 10 after I roll the center engine back first then reach up and grab the, the other two throttles and roll them back and a, a minor pitch change and roll forward and touch the mains down. I go, wow, that was, that was a lucky landing. You know, even a blind squirrel finds a nut as we say roll this thing on and go, well, that, that, that went pretty well. What'd you think? Yeah. I said, yep, that's pretty great. Uh, we'll be calling you. So I got hired at American airlines. I'm 25 years old. I'm on my way to, um, to the schoolhouse to learn to do the Boeing 727 in, uh, flight engineer spot. So I go to, go to Boeing 727 school. That's the, the toughest school at American airlines at the time. It's how to work the engineer panel. And this thing reminds me of the of the Millennium Falcon. You know, it's got the the two pilots up front. You've got Chewie in the back. Actually, Chewie's in the right seat. You got R two D two in the back, and that was me. Now, so I'm the I'm the flight engineer. I'm R two D two. I'm working something in the back, learning how to cross feed and and get the generators synced. It's check essential. It's something kind of tricky. So. So the 727 was a really challenging school, and I flew that thing all over the Caribbean. My first assignment was Caribbean International Miami 72 engineer uh, as a new hire, loving life. I, I'm I'm on probation. I'm just loving it. A little while out, you know, just I'm getting my feet wet. I'm learning how to do this thing. I'm loving it. Okay, this is great. I got this thing. I got it dialed. I get a, a HI6 message, which is. Hey, uh, uh, first uh, flight engineer Blackstone, you are uh, assigned seven five seven six seven co-pilot school. I said, Oh, I'm only in three months. Uh, I still have the the temporary flight engineer certificate in my hand. Um, I'm going to school, so I call my dad. I said, Dad, I got the seven six school. He says, Awesome, that's gonna be great. Uh, I'll help you out with whatever you need, and uh, go do it. I said, But I'm still on probation. He says, Oh, it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. You're gonna love it. So I go get a Boeing 757-767 type rating as a new hire at American Airlines, and uh, I'm 26 years old now, and uh, it's it's just a dream come true, you know, and my dad is on that same fleet, so I go to training, do really well, I have a great time there, I get my dual type rating, 7576. I go to my IOE, which is initial operating experience, do 25 hours. And on my very first flight, I get to fly with my dad. He shows up at my flight. We're going to fly a trip to, to Miami, an all-nighter. He gave up a beautiful day LAX to New York trip, the 8 a.m., and traded it for the all-nighter 7-5 trip to fly with me. And uh, what a beautiful way to begin my my airline career, flying jets, first time with my dad uh, on the 7576. And 
we'll talk about the end of, of that career on another on another flight for my dad when I flew his retirement trip with him on a 767-300 to Honolulu. I flew his retirement trip with him on his last flight, and he flew with me on my first flight as a co-pilot. So, uh, so that was kind of the bond and the cool thing that we had on the 7576. So I'll always hold that spot dear to my heart. I loved it. Now, at some point, they decided uh, that they're going to park all the 7576s. So uh, American Airlines pulls them out of LA. I flew, I was flying Honolulu, flying a lot of Hawaii flights at that time. They parked the 75, and I am forced from the right seat of the 75 to the right seat of the 73. Go to training. And this was just a few years back now. So 17 years into my career, uh, just finished training on the 73, flew it a few months, and then uh, they say, hey, how would you like a captain spot on the 73? I said, oh, that'd be great. Uh, long school again. So I did two long schools within a few months of each other and uh, became a captain on the 73. I don't know, I've got about three or 4,000 hours in that thing now. I've got probably 7,000 hours or so in the 7.5 and, and just maybe four or 500 hours in the 7.2. But that's kind of it. And, and uh, my next jet is, is going to be the, the Boeing 777. I, it looks to me like at this point with the COVID-19 thing, the 737-800 MAX, we'll talk about that another time. Uh, I'm going to be shifting gears again back to a wide body co-pilot spot. I'm super excited about it. The 777 is a plane I've always wanted to fly and I'm going to get a chance to do that. And I'm really excited. It's a big, beautiful machine. I'll be happy to talk about how it is to fly any of these airplanes. Uh, at some point I'll break down each one and we'll talk about the differences and, and, uh, and how much similarities and differences and how much I enjoyed flying them. You're listening to Taking Flight with Michael Rocket Blackstone. Item number two for today's podcast. And the question is, is why am I so passionate about flying? And I joke, maybe it's the coffee. Um, And what does flying really mean to me? So why am I passionate about flying? My dad really, really made an influence on me and, and, uh, and did what what I want to do for you, which is, which is share aviation with you in such an approachable, wonderful way that just makes it fun. And, um, you know, flying for me is, it's all about those, those freedoms that you have, you know, like when you, when you first get your driver's license back in my day in the, in the seventies, um, getting your driver's license meant freedom. It meant you're, you're, you're going to be able to go where you want to go, when you want to go. Uh, flying is like that, except even bigger, even, even better. So just being able to drive around the local area or a quick trip down to San Diego is, is kind of the extent of a car, right? You know, like a quick trip to Vegas, that's, that's actually too far for me. I, I, I have a hard time getting in the car and wanting to drive you know, three or four hours anywhere. And what if the traffic's bad? You know, it's, it's not that enticing to me, but flying is because what flying is, is to me, the ability to get in an airplane, fuel it up and, and fly 500 miles in just a few hours and be in a totally different environment. Now, suddenly you're, you're, you're in New Mexico or suddenly you're in, you're in Denver going on a ski trip or suddenly you're on your way to Mexico or suddenly you're on your way to Hawaii going to paradise. And the plane allows you to, to be a time traveler, to be in places that 
that would take you days or weeks to get to otherwise. So when I look at flying, I just think, wow, this is the greatest invention of all time. And and it really is. And I, I, I don't feel that it gets it gets enough press in that area. I think that it unfortunately the media tends to talk about flying as um something to be avoided. Uh, it's, it's too dangerous. You know, it's all of these false, um, false analogies and false fears that, that really aren't real. Flying is the safest way to travel by far. And, and you're, you're more likely to, to get injured walking down the stairs in your house or, or, or driving to the grocery store. Flying is not dangerous. Flying is a freedom that that Americans and and global citizens should really embrace more and protect because flying is also not only one of the coolest things ever, it's super fragile too. So, you know, the, the infrastructure for flying is is so is so small and so fragile. I live near a very small airport called Fullerton, and it, it's my gateway out of Orange County. It's my ticket out of town. And I only have to drive a few miles to get to my aircraft to fly out of town. And I could be anywhere within just a few hours. So flying for me, magic. It's, it's literally the invention that, that changed the world in, in, in so many positive ways. And it changed my world in so many ways that, that I'm describing to you now of, you know, what would it do to your family, to your kids, uh, to your grandkids, if you had a plane uh, and you were able to share it with them, where could they go? What would they do? Are they going to be a global citizen? Are they going to go to 50 countries in their life? Are they going to go interact with people from around the world? Or are they going to be stuck in a little cocoon in the area that they grew up in within 50 to 100 miles of where they grew up and never really leave that area? That to me is the reason. Um, why I get so pumped and so excited about it. And, and we'll talk about the costs later, which of course everything has a cost, but what it costs not to do flying is so far greater than what the cost is to do flying. So number two, um, that's my answer. If you'd like to hear a little bit more about why I'm so passionate about flying, uh, let me know, but uh, I think we pretty well got it done. You're listening to Taking Flight with Michael Rocket Blackstone. We're back with you, Taking Flight with Michael Rocket Blackstone. We're answering the questions of today's podcast. And right now we're going on to number three is what's the main reason people don't learn to fly? And I've been asking people this question uh, over the years. I've, I've been approached and people ask me. Uh, how I got into flying. And then I ask them, yeah, you know, did you get into flying too? And they go, ah, no. And here come the answers. Um, Primarily, people's number one answer for me is it's really expensive. Um, And and it is in in some ways. In some ways, it's it's really affordable. Um, I don't let the cost drive my decision-making. I let... I think of it the other way. I like to think of of what it will cost me not to do something rather than what it costs me to do something. Um, and then when I go down that road, uh, it's easy to convince myself it's worth it to spend the money on flying versus the life I would have if I didn't fly. So so for me, flying is worth the cost, um, whatever that is. And, and in today's dollars, I think it's it's actually quite affordable. And we'll talk about that a little later as, as 
things have actually reduced in cost uh, due to uh, the current pandemic the current pandemic situation, excuse me, time. Uh, they don't have the time to do it. It's 40 hours to get your private license. I mean, we do 40 hours a week at work. I mean, if you took that, if you took flying seriously, you could get this thing done in a week uh, uh, for a private license. If you did it casually, you can get it done in a month. If you did it uh, really casually, maybe six months. It's, it's just everybody has more time available than they think. They don't normally think about the other areas that they possibly are wasting time. Um, so I feel that time should never be an issue. When you want to do something, you'll you'll find the time. Um, another one I hear is family, that they had a family, they started a family, and they just they just couldn't do it. And, and uh, I don't think that family should be an excuse to not learn to fly. My dad was the reason I learned to fly. So family could be the introduction that you'd be able to give to someone else in your family uh, rather than say, I'm going to protect my family from aviation. You'd say, well, I'm going to learn to fly because I want to give this gift to my family. So family, I like, what? Like, so uh, no, family should never be, be a reason to not learn to fly. And I think a lot of people think that maybe if I have a family, that's ah, too dangerous. I, I don't want to risk my family because I'm going to be flying a small plane. If you're learning proper techniques, you're taking proper precautions, you're, you're doing the proper maintenance, you're flying a great airplane, flying is absolutely and totally safe. Please don't, don't blame it on your family uh, for not learning to fly. You can you can do this and your family will will thank you for it later like I'm doing right now with my dad. The fourth reason that people don't learn to fly that I hear is they're just afraid. Um, I think they're afraid for the, all of the wrong reasons. They listen to the media too much. Uh, aviation really gets a bad rap and there's really very little to be afraid of flying that is real. There are some dangers, of course, inherent in flying, but people who really are involved in aviation on a very serious level, the, the, the danger and the risk goes way, way down. And if you do a lot of flying, the more flying you do and the more training you do, the better you'll get. And there's really not a lot to be afraid of. And I think another thing that that makes me less afraid is my background in, in aerobatics. Aerobatics should be a part of everyone's training now, I'm not a big fan of mandating things and forcing people to do it. I don't think there needs to be a rule to push people, but I'd like to just be a voice of of encouragement, shall we say. When you learn to fly, take some aerobatics. Even if you don't plan on becoming the next world aerobatic champion like my friend Michael Goulian, or you don't plan on becoming a, a great airshow pilot like my friend Michael Wiskus, or or an airline pilot... Whichever piloting realm you go through or choose to go through, there there needs to be some balance of aerobatic training in your in your training, so that if you get upside down, it's it's just another maneuver that you know how to do. It's like I only do turns to the left. Like what? You don't go to the right? Oh no, I only go left because I never learned to do the right ones. So therefore, whenever I'm in flying conditions, I only like to go to the left. I'm like, why wouldn't you learn to go to the right? And that's what aerobatics feels like to me. Like another maneuver that we do, I go left, I go right, I go up, I go down, I go inverted, I go outside, I go knife edge. When you fly 
in all the different axes or the different realms of flying, none of it seems to be too scary then. And to be afraid of the dreaded spin or the, uh, what if I get upside down and get disoriented? Or what if this happens? It's like, what if you're prepared for that and it and it doesn't happen? So then suddenly the, the afraid goes away. So that's my take on uh, afraid. I don't feel that it's valid. I think that uh, it's there's no reason not to learn to fly. You're listening to Taking Flight with Michael Rocket Blackstone. All right, we're back with you working on question number four. What does the future look like for aviation? Well, in my mind, the future of aviation is very bright. Uh, we're dealing with COVID-19 right now. The airlines are semi-shut down, running at like 10 to 15, maybe 20% of capacity. Um, from a general aviation perspective, I still see uh, a bright future for learning to fly. And uh, one of the main reasons is the purchase price of airplanes is way down. Um, those who can should buy an airplane right now rather than running for the hills. It, you know, it, as they always say, when there's a downturn in the economy, there's an opportunity to buy a really great piece of equipment at a really great price. So uh, I'm going to give you some resources here coming up uh, in just a little bit, but buy an airplane. If you can, if you're interested in aviation and you've always been interested in aviation, um, take a look into the market of used aircraft. You'll find some great deals out there. And maybe now is the optimal time to purchase an air- aircraft at a really great price. Find a great place to park it. Uh, share an airplane possibly with someone. And a great time to look for flying lessons. Flight schools are notoriously uh, busy. And right now they're not as busy. As a matter of fact, they're, they're, they're quite uh, accessible. You might get the flight instructor that you've uh, been wanting to fly with that's been too booked up. You may find that uh, some great flight instructors that were too busy are now back. So go out there and check it out and you'll find that maybe now is the most optimal time to take a look at flying lessons, take a look at aircraft, Take a look at new aircraft. Oh, by the way, the interest rates are extremely low right now um, for used aircraft and new aircraft. Uh, these these dealers are uh, are ready to sell, and the used market, the the current owners that are wanting to sell are will are motivated to sell, and they're going to be selling at great prices. So great interest rates, great airplanes, new and used. Don't be afraid of a great used airplane um, with the proper maintenance. Great logbooks, uh, entries that that are proving that that aircraft has been been properly maintained. You could find yourself an amazing uh, value of a used aircraft right now. And then once you buy an airplane, then find a a flight instructor that can teach you in your own aircraft. That could save you lots of money. Not renting an aircraft from a flight school, but actually owning your own aircraft or sharing an aircraft with several other owners. And the two or three or four of you could be dividing that number by four and then share the same instructor. And you kind of see where we're going from there. The cost of maintaining the aircraft will be up to one quarter uh, of what it would have been had you owned it by yourself. Split it with it with some several owners and friends that you that you trust and, and want to learn to fly with. Split the hangar cost uh, by four or as many owners as you are partners with and then split the hangar uh with with a you know with a possible partner or two so 
those are some ways to look at aviation now as an opportunity rather than as uh, a something to run away from. From a career standpoint, a lot of aviators are feeling the the COVID-19 crunch. And aviation was particularly vulnerable to a situation like this with a virus that that really shocked our, our community, that shocked our, our industry. And, you know, currently I'm on leave right now and I'm about to go back to, to work December 1, but uh, in a few weeks, if you're listening to this out of order. But what we're dealing with right now is uh, an overcapacity too many airplanes, too many pilots, not enough demand. When this thing gets under control, the the demand will rapidly increase. People really want to travel. They're going to travel either in their own private airplane, which is a great way to, if you like to stay away from people, fly your own private airplane. That's awesome. If you can afford to do so, do it. Share an airplane. Charter airplanes with other people so you can fly with groups that you know in a smaller aircraft. That's another way to get back in the world of aviation and still enjoy those those travel opportunities, those travel adventures. And when you're ready, the airlines are always there to to back you up and to and to take you at the least cost possible to go the farthest, but you're going to be traveling with larger groups. Wear your mask, clean your hands. It's not that big of a deal right now. I don't feel that the risk is worth shutting this industry down. I really don't. So what we're talking about now is let's get aviation going again. And what we're uh, hoping to do here is inspire the world to get motivated to start traveling and do that adventure lifestyle that we all crave as human beings. You're listening to Taking Flight with Michael Rocket Blackstone. Back with you at Taking Flight with Michael Rocket Blackstone, the fifth and final Question for today are five things that I think you should do today to begin your push towards aviation. And the first thing that I recommend is that you research the used airplane market. Look at planes that spark your interest. I'm also a musician, so when I think about you know maybe buying a guitar or wanting to learn to play an instrument, find the piece of equipment that excites you and Find something in your price range, but find something that you want to fly. Obviously, you know, when you're looking at used airplanes, there is a gamut, everything from a plane that is uh, barely able to fly, and then there's the G650 for $100 million. So everything from free or close to it to an insane amount of money is is the market. But what you'll want to do is you'll want to look at something that does the mission that you're hoping to do? Are you learning to fly? Well, maybe you should fly something that's a trainer that has two seats. A single seater obviously won't do that mission. So, so be realistic with the mission that you're hoping to, to accomplish. If you want something that's going to be easy to fly, you're going to be looking into the Cessna world, the Piper world, possibly the Cirrus world. Um, you might even consider something, a tail dragger that's more fun, like a Satabria or a Cub. And that's kind of a realm that you're going to find something in that realm that's going to be pretty exciting for you. There's plenty of cool airplanes in that area that, that I would like to fly as well. So research the used airplane market. Look up airplanes on Google for trade-a-plane. It's trade-a-plane, just like uh, Auto Trader. Trade-a-plane for airplanes. It's a great uh, website for you to explore some of those, those entry-level uh, training 
type airplanes. And then also look into the future for, you know, what, what is it that you're going to want to own afterwards? So what's cool about buying an airplane is, is you, you put the initial cost out there, you put the initial investment, but planes are a little bit different than cars. So if you buy a plane for, say, $50,000, it doesn't immediately turn to $25,000 in five years like a car can do. So if you bought a plane for $50,000, you insured it for, say, two or 3000 a year, you maintain it for two or 3000 a year, and then you hanger it for you know, a few thousand bucks a year, those costs help to keep the airplane's value up. So yes, it costs something to have the airplane, but over time, the value of the airplane will hold itself and actually could slightly increase if it happens to be a collectible airplane or something that's a little bit more rare. So really look at the, at the, at the used plane market Find out something that you really like, and you'll find yourself maybe purchasing something that's a good investment, something that that will hold its value, something that you really enjoy owning during the time that you own it. And when you go to sell it someday, you'll recover most of your money. So that's a it's a it's a little bit of a trade-off there. Another great resource for used airplanes is Barnstormers. Barnstormers is a little bit more of a uh I don't want to say a bargain hunters uh, website, but it, it can be. So look at Trade a Plane for a little little higher end, Barnstormers for a little quicker sale. Um, and then also Controller is another great website that could lead you down the road towards a newer used aircraft. All great resources. So number one, research the used airplane market. Number two, find a local flight school near you. If you live in a big city, that shouldn't be too difficult. If you live a little farther away from a city, maybe it's going to be a little bit more of a challenge. The closer you are to the airport that you're going to be flying out of, the better it's going to be and the more likely that it's going to be that you're going to go there. If you're going to buy an airplane, that you live close to an airport that you can actually reach and use. Aviation is a, is a thing of 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 convenience in a lot of ways. So it's not convenient to get in your car and drive two hours in the opposite direction of the place you'd like to fly to the east. For example, if you're going to, if you're going to go east, it doesn't feel very good to go west before you go east. So living near your airport that you're going to either learn to fly at or store your airplane and become part of the aviation community, you're going to want to be there. You're going to want to hang out there. So you're going to want to look for a flight school near you and Look at an airport and kind of find out what the what the facilities they have there are and so on to see if you feel feel good being at that airport. Number three is is check the aircraft that that flight school uses and make sure you like the aircraft. So when when you're going to look at a flight school, what you're going to want to look for is do they have clean airplanes? Are they nice airplanes? Do they have nice equipment in it? In other words, nice radios, nice interiors. Do they keep their airplanes well maintained? Of course the better the maintenance that you feel that that flight school has, the safer you'll feel in their airplanes. So if the planes are a little scruffy looking, you'll look under the hood and, 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 and be more cognizant of maybe it's not a place you want to operate. Maybe they don't have enough customers to keep the airplanes as maintained as you like. So you might opt to go to a different flight school and find something that seems in a little better condition to you. And if you feel comfortable in the airplane, you're going to want to go fly it more often. So check out their aircraft. Check the type. If it's a Cessna 172, that's pretty common. If it's a Cirrus, that's a little less common, a little more expensive. If it's a Piper that's got a really nice you know, interior and paint job that you really like it, 
that might be something that you'd be into. So if you like the aircraft, you might want to swing inside, get their price sheet, and sign up for your first uh, discovery lesson. That's a great idea. The fourth thing that you should do this week or while you're doing this list is to find an instructor that you like there at that flight school. Ask around, talk to a few of the guys, because remember, this isn't just a a one-time deal and you get your license. You're going to be with this person for hours and hours and hours, sitting there learning about the uh, the ins and outs of the aircraft, learning the ground school stuff about how to navigate, communicate, and uh, and, and work the, the maneuvers in the aircraft. So you're going to be spending some time with this person. Make sure you like them. Make sure you like their personality. Make sure you can get along with them and, and enjoy their company and make it fun. It's important that you find your flight instructor to be comfortable, relaxed, and competent, as well as confident So sometimes you'll find confidence and not as much competence. And you may find that in flight that you don't feel as comfortable with them because their confidence is exceeding their competence and you won't like that. So competence is much more important and that they're confident with with what they're teaching you as well. So look for those things. Make sure you like what you see and hear from them and Uh, Until you feel really comfortable with a flight instructor, you won't get great instruction from them. The fifth thing, take the plunge. Once you find a plane that you like and an instructor that you like, sign up for 10 lessons. And if you're not comfortable with 10, maybe sign up for five lessons. We're doing fives here today. So maybe sign up for five lessons and get that block rate down. Sometimes the flight schools, a lot of times the flight schools will give you a block rate, meaning If you buy one hour, you pay a higher price. If you buy five to 10 hours, you'll pay a much lower price. Put your money down and that will get your financial commitment. It'll also get the price down and get your chance, get a chance to get the jitters out, see what that instructor's like, see if you're getting along with them, seeing if your lessons are going well and check it out. Make sure that you're enjoying this process. After five to 10 lessons, either you are in love with aviation and it's the greatest thing you've ever done and you're so glad you did it, or you need to try a different flight school. And uh, those are the things that I recommend for you this week. You're never going to regret this. I am uh, super excited that we got to the end of the my first podcast with you. I'm hoping you had a good time. Leave some comments. Let me know what you think. And remember to keep on flying. As my dad would say, you are listening to Taking Flight with Michael Rocket Blackstone. Well, there you have it. You're listening to Taking Flight with Michael Rocket Blackstone. Wow, we had a pretty huge first episode. I I really wasn't... uh, thinking it was going to go on as long as it did. If you're with me still, I appreciate you hanging in there all the way to the end. This is my first one, so uh, it will be better over time. Uh, I really, really appreciate you guys being here today and, and, and getting involved with aviation. Um, it's been my pleasure sharing with you some of my experiences. I've got a ton more to get through. Up next, in our next few episodes, we are going to talk about some details of the aerobatic school that I ran for 20 years. We're, st- we're on a hiatus right now due to COVID-19. Uh, we had a Pitts. We had an extra 300. We had a Marchetti on that list. We're, go- we're down to um, just a few airplanes still doing that, that type of flying. I'm going to do more of that stuff in the Marchetti. I think that that's a better platform for instruction. So we've tamed it down a bit, but I'm going to give you all the experiences that I had in my next 
uh, lesson about what it was like to run that flight school. We called it at Sky Thrills. That was the pits, the extra 300, and the Waco together. Sky Thrills also ran uh, another operation, which we'll talk about in a future episode. So we really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. And we'll see you in episode number two. This is Taking Flight with Michael Rocket Blackstone. See you next time.